of our series called Jonah, a tale of compassion, death, and resurrection. And it is an ironic story about a runaway prophet who wants nothing to do with the mission that God has called him to. And it's, uh, he, he does not want to go public with his faith. And it's a story that we so desperately need today. Charles Taylor, in his great work called A Secular Age, argues very convincingly that we live in an age like there has never been. Never in history have we questioned so much whether there was a God, and there was a God who can rend open the heavens and come down and be with us. And what he says is that even even Christians who are mature in their faith, even they are plagued by this doubt because it's running through their veins, because it's in the water that we drink. And he goes on and he shows that there's this slogan that we live by today. And that slogan is, keep your faith to yourself. Don't you dare go public with your faith. And, and what I want you to see is that slogan, that's a very religious slogan. It's a religion with a mask on it. And it says very religious things telling you not to say religious things. Because as soon as you say don't do something, you are utter, uttering moral claims. And as soon as you utter moral claims, you are uttering a religion. And it's, there's a moral pressure that pretends not to offer you a morality. And if you're a Christian, this creates a, a major problem for you because Christianity is unapologetically public. And there's not a, there's not a part, a square inch of your life that Christianity doesn't dig good news into. Not one part of your life is Christianity not claiming that Christ is king over that area. So the question isn't, do you go public with your faith? The question becomes, how do you go public with your faith in a way that is helpful to the world around you? We're in Jonah and Jonah does not want to go public with his faith. And we're the same way. We don't feel like it's that big of a deal if we stay silent about what we believe. In fact, there's probably something in you that really does feel like you're doing something rude or immoral by bringing your faith to the world around you. And today's Palm Sunday. And it's a day where Jesus goes public with his faith. And by going public with his faith, he enters into a storm. And today we're going to look at the differences between Jesus and Jonah and what Palm Sunday has to do with it all. And we're going to read from Jonah, but we're also going to read from the Gospel of John. And we're going to see Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, but we're also going to look at Jonah's not-so-triumphal entry into the sea. They have things in common and things that are not in common. So really quick, here's a backdrop. Jonah is running from God. God has given Jonah a mission to go public with his faith in Nineveh, and Jonah wants nothing to do, do with it. Jonah wants Nineveh to rot in hell. And so he takes off running, and he's going to the place that is far away as he can get from Nineveh. And as he runs and he boards this boat, God hurls a storm, 
And what we saw last week is that it's a merciful storm because it's a storm that's meant to turn him back to his mission and his purpose, and it's a storm that's meant to turn him back to God. And then, as this massive storm grows, the sailors on this boat are trying to figure out why in the world this is happening because their life is at risk, and they, they know they're about to die. And they want to try to figure out, is this the fault of someone who is on this boat? And here's our verses. Jonah 1, 7 through 16. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what, are, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now we're jumping to John, the triumphal entry of Christ. John 12, 12 through 14. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming out to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. All right, first point, we're going to look at mission and Jonah. And each point, what we're going to do is we're going to compare Christ and Jonah. And the first thing that we see is that Jonah would rather die than obey his mission. And because Christ, because of his obedience... He dies. Jesus' obedience leads to his death. Now, Jonah is running from God and from God's call on his life. He doesn't want to be a missionary to Nineveh, and he's bitter, he's angry, and he is not happy about the life that God is giving him. He had different plans for his life than God had. Jonah's more concerned with his will than God's will. And because of it, he's really mad at God about it. Now then let's take Jesus. Praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, your will be done, but let this cup pass from me. Now what's the cup? The cup is the wrath. The cup is wrath for sin. The cup is his death. The, the cup is hell that he's about to enter into. He doesn't want it. But he says, your will be done. 
to his father. Now, here's why he doesn't want this cup. Because he knows, he knows what's coming to him. And he knows it so well that in that garden, he begins to sweat blood. This is something that can happen to someone if they're under enough stress. It's called hematidrosis. So he begins sweating blood because of what he is about to endure. But he obeys the will of God. Jonah and Jesus both feel the weight and the cost of what they are about to do or what God is calling them to do. And the outcomes are very different. One fights the will of God and the other obeys it. So if Jonah obeys God, here's what it's going to cost him. It's going to cost him his name. It's going to cost him his very identity. It's going to cost him his standing among his people because he's a prophet, but he's a patriotic prophet. And Israel hates Nineveh. He wants nothing to do with his calling. And he knows if he obeys it, that him and his, well, his friends are not going to think so highly of him anymore. All that he has worked for all of his life is about to be lost because of God, what God is calling him to do. So he would rather die than go public with his faith in Nineveh. And eventually we see towards the end of the story that Jonah does go public. And it's really because God is forcing him to do it. And Jonah still, in the end, he wants nothing to do with it, but he plays the game with God and he does what God asks him to do, but his heart is not in it. And you know this because Jonah gives the absolute worst sermon that there has ever been in the history of the world. And somehow Nineveh changes a bit. But it does not seem as if they have entered into a full covenantal relationship with God. Jonah doesn't want that, really. He, he would rather them just change a little bit. And because of that, here's what happens. Because Jonah is not obeying the call of God on his life. These Ninevites, who are part of Assyria, years later, this whole Assyrian army would invade Israel and drive them from their homeland. So I got to believe that if Jonah would have obeyed the calling that God gave him, then Nineveh would have been changed, Assyria would have been changed, and that Assyria never would have invaded Israel. But yet that's not what happens. Jonah disobeys. We are like Nineveh. And Jonah endures suffering to get away from us. Jesus runs into suffering to be with us. And so here's a lesson for you. You will face suffering for your will or for God's will. You will face trials for your will or for God's will. The key to life is finding the right sacrifices to make for the right end. And... You know, so many people, that you're looking at God. You, you, we look at God and we say, God, you're not giving me what I want. I see what your will is, but I don't want it because I'm going to have to make all these sacrifices if I follow after your will. And what you're not realizing is if you follow after what you want, you will also be making sacrifices. Because whatever you want in life is going to demand sacrifices for you to get it. Which means no matter what you do in this life, you will be sacrificing. 
So when you sacrifice for what you want over and against what God wants, what you're believing is your will for God, your life is better than God's will. So you have this war of the wills between you and God. And the question becomes, is God infinitely wise, infinitely good, and infinitely loving? And if so, you can trust him more than you can trust yourself. And that's what you're trying to figure out. Jonah doesn't believe it's true in this moment. Or maybe he does, but he wants nothing to do with Nineveh. But either way, what will you decide? Both. Whichever you decide, you will make sacrifices. The man who wants success over all things in life will sacrifice his family and his friends and his emotional and his physical health in order to chase after success. And he will end up lacking a love for his family and his friends because he has an overlove for his career. The mom, you know, a battle of wills. Now, the, the mom who wants a perfect family sacrifices what God wants for what she wants for her kids. She's placed her overly controlling hand upon her kids' lives and is making them live into a life that maybe is contrary to God's will. She doesn't know because she's not asking it. Because she has a plan for them. Sports over Christ. Good grades over Christ. Talent over Christ. A battle of wills. Or the single person who so desperately wants a lover. And what will happen here is you will want, if that is you... You will want so badly to not be alone that you will give yourself over to a relationship that isn't healthy. Maybe it's even abusive in some way, but at least you're not alone, you will tell yourself. So you make a sacrifice. God's will is good and it is wise. Choose his will over yours and you will find yourself healthier in the end. All right, now let's bring Palm Sunday into this because Jesus is go his going public on Palm Sunday is very costly to him. So this is our second point, Palm Sunday and Jonah. Jonah ran, so here's the difference. Jonah ran from his mission into the storm, and he ran into a storm, and the pagan sailors actually try to save him. Jesus runs into his mission into the storm, and the religious leaders try to kill him and succeed. So why are they after Jesus? Why are these religious people wanting Jesus dead so badly? Well, here's what's just happened. He's just rose Lazarus. His, his friend Lazarus, he's, he's made him rise from the dead. And he's getting all this attention. And, well, the religious leaders are pretty jealous about this. And along with that, the great high priest has prophesied, he has stated that Jesus will die for the sins of the nation. So already, I mean, they want him dead. And then, so after he raises his friend from the dead, there's this festival in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to the festival, and everybody's talking about Jesus. They want to see him. They want to meet him. So there's this grand gathering. They're celebrating Hosanna, which means, God, you've come. You've come to deliver us. Yes, the king has come to deliver Israel. They're celebrating. And Jesus walks in, and he's walking right into the storm. Because he knows, he knows it. The religious leaders are after him and he knows what they're going to do to him. But he goes 
anyways. And the irony here is that Jerusalem is where this festival is. Jerusalem literally means the city of God, the city of peace. And God enters into his city, and his city goes to war with him. Jesus rode into the stormy sea to get us. Jonah rode into the stormy sea to get away from us. Jesus is the better Jonah. And then at Jesus' death, the disciples, did they say he's not who we thought he was. Because as he's entering in, this triumphal entry, they're seeing him as the king who's going to deliver Israel. And then, through, and then he dies. And when he dies, they say, man, he's not what we thought he was. We're super bummed. This is horrible. This is heartbreaking for us. The sailors did not think Jonah was who he was. They had no idea that he would be able to be someone that would cause a storm to come upon them. I bet that there's a lot of times in your life when you expect Jesus to be something to you and he isn't that thing. You expect he was going to deliver something for you or be something to you, or give you something, and he's not giving it to you. And you're saying to yourself, I guess he wasn't what I thought he was. I thought he was this triumphant king who was going to give me everything I wanted. And what you're not realizing is he came to give himself to you. You are the prize, but, but you're wondering where he is. And what I want to tell you is if you feel a great distance between him and you, he will rise again in three days. There's a thing that the Bible keeps saying over and over and over again. Wait on the Lord. He will rise in your heart again. You know, you become a Christian and you have this like romantic time with God where everything was great and then he starts to disappear. And you don't know why it's happening. Wait. Compared to Jesus... Everything that the world offers you is a Jonah. And what you need to do is throw that Jonah into the sea. Now, if you heard me, if you're really listening to me, and you're thinking, well, what do I want most? Well, I really love my children. Am I throwing them into the sea? And I'm not talking about when you're mad at them. I'm talking when you're very pleased with them. What about my spouse? Am I throwing my spouse into the sea? Am I throwing my career into the sea? And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes because Christ is there within the sea and he's there to lift them up. And I want to tell you what happens when you do it. When you finally will let them go and you place them into the hands of Christ, what happens is you can enjoy, you can enjoy them so much more now. He gives you them back and so much more of them because now you're not trying to get from them what only God can give you. You're satisfied in Christ. You're not trying to get from them what only Christ can give you. And now they're free from your clutches. And you're free too. So you keep waiting for him. And you've got to get good at waiting. And the only way to get good at waiting is to remember his sacrificial love for you. It's our third point. Sacrificial love in Jonah. Jonah's evil fell upon the sailors. Our evil fell upon Christ. Guilty Jonah is hurled into the sea in order to quiet the storm. 
Jesus is hurled into the sea of hell to quiet your storm. Jonah had an overlove of self, and it brought misery upon the sailor that brought the storm. Christ has a sacrificial love, and that love brought problems upon himself. So here's what I want you to hear. True love is sacrificial, and it is permanent. Sacrificial and permanent. Something I've been thinking about a lot about lately is that real love desires permanence. So you think about Jesus, loves you permanently, and he desires to be with you permanently. So he pays the cost that is needed to deal with sin and death and hell in order for him to rescue you up out of it so he can be with you permanently forever. And he's so excited about it that he has gone up to his father's house and prepared a room for you. And in that room, he's putting all of your favorite stuff Because he knows you from the inside out. And he's preparing that room for you so that when you arrive, you can walk into it. And he's there greeting you like, welcome home. Because true love desires permanence. Jonah does not desire God permanently. He does not desire permanence with the sailors, with Nineveh. And because he does, does not desire this permanent type of love, Well, he doesn't sacrifice his will for God's will. And because he doesn't sacrifice his will for God's will, he brings misery not only upon himself, but upon the sailors, upon Nineveh, and also upon his own people that he so desperately wants to love him. He's got his people back home, and he's trying to prove to them that he's a great prophet for everyone to love. Meanwhile, he's destroying them because he does not, he's not willing to endure sacrificial love by going to Nineveh. And by not going to Nineveh, eventually Nineveh, the Assyrians, come in and invade his people. He killed the thing that he loved most because he wouldn't put God in his rightful place. And the lesson for you is that love is costly and it desires permanence. But if you will embrace this kind of love, It will be good for others in your life, and it will be good for you. Another way to say this is to die to yourself and live for others, and then you'll finally be fully alive. Jonah dies to himself because Jonah doesn't want to live anymore, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking all the things that you want more than God, dying to those things, and living to him, and then you'll really be alive, and you'll really treat everything in your life the way it ought to be treated, and you'll start loving it the way it ought to be loved. Jesus says, lose your life, and you will find it. Or we can say, lose what you want most, and you will find better wants. Die to yourself, and live for others, and then you will truly live. Now, I want to I walk through what is potentially your greatest barrier to love. It's this mindset that almost all of us are living by, whether we know it or not, and that's the mindset of the grass is greener on the other side. Now, let me tell you what this mindset will do to you. If you always think that the grass is greener over there, then you will never desire permanence in the place that you are in. Which means as soon as you get over to that other side, 
You're not desiring green grass there. You're looking at other green grass. And so what you find is the grass underneath you turns brown and crispy. And it's getting burned up because you're not tending the garden that you are in because the grass is always greener on the other side. So what happens is now no matter what you do, you end up finding yourself unsatisfied because you don't desire permanence. If you want to make a great impact on this world, you have to first desire permanence in the place that you are in, where you work, where you play, where you live. Your church, your neighborhood, all of these things. I'm not saying that doesn't mean you don't ever move. I'm not, that, I'm not saying that doesn't mean you need to change your career. I'm not saying it doesn't mean any of those things. What I'm saying is it might And it definitely means if you want to make a great impact, the highest probability to make a great impact in this world is for you to be permanent in whatever place you are in and sacrifice with love. And if you do that, you will change the garden that you are in and you will tend and you will find yourself growing a flourishing garden. Beautiful flowers and fruits and vegetables and whatever else it is that you like to grow. Huge trees just covering because you've been willing to stay. Take your marriage. Love desires permanence, and it will desire sacrifice. And so here becomes the mindset. If you are ready to just always move on, then what's going to happen is without a desire of permanence, you're going to go from one marriage to the next to the next, never satisfied because you're not tending the garden of the marriage. Because when you're saying, I'm here forever, this is permanent, you want to be happy. And you want to enjoy this person. And the only way to do that is to say, all right, I'm here to the end. Let's figure this out. So we don't hate each other after 30 years. So you have to desire permanence. And then you have to say, let's put the work in. Whatever the cost is, let's sacrifice to make sure we are enjoying each other. And you figure it out. And you take that principle and you apply it to every part of your life where you live, where you work, where you play, in your church, in your city. It doesn't mean that you're always going to stay in those places, but what it does mean is maybe you should. And lastly, all of this will produce shalom. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is the city that means peace. Shalom means peace, but it doesn't mean peace the way you're thinking of without war. It includes that, but shalom means flourishing. And it means flourishing that is spiritual. It means emotional flourishing. It means social flourishing. It means cultural flourishing. And it even means physical flourishing. The calm sea represents shalom, flourishing. The chaotic sea represents the anti-shalom, the destruction. So here's our fourth point. And let me show you where we've gone. So God has a mission for you. You're going public with your faith. Now, what, how you do that, we're not even talking about that yet. We just know that that's the mission. And then, as you're going public with your faith, you see that it's going to cost you something. And you're going to sacrifice things. But sacrifice the right things to gain all the more back. And then, you see, as you go, you're going with love. And then that produces shalom. So, let's compare Jesus, Jonah, 
guilty Jonah turns the calm seas into chaotic seas. Jesus runs to you to turn your chaotic seas into calm. Shalom. Jonah makes life miserable for the sailors. Jesus makes his life miserable for you. If you don't desire permanence, and if you aren't willing to make sacrifices for others, you will bring misery into your life and the life of those around you. I promise you it's going to happen. And here's why I know that. Because when God created you, he made you in his image. And the original thing that he said to humanity is cultivate, meaning take the garden of Eden and grow it to cover all the earth. Tend your garden. That's your, what you're wired to do. And if you reject that calling, you will become miserable because you're wired for that calling and you will bring misery upon, around the people around you because we are meant to be in a community where all of us are collectively seeking the flourishing of others. Jesus is your example of how to love, how to tend your garden, how to make sacrifices. He's your example of what it means to be permanent in a place with a people, seeking a mission. But he's not just your example. He's your savior who's jumped into the waters to get you and then given you the power and strength to become someone who tends their garden well. He's the exact imprint of God. The perfect image that brings love and shalom on Palm Sunday when he enters into the city to change it. And he rides in on a donkey. When a king would ride into battle, a king would ride a horse because a horse meant war. But Jesus here rides in on a donkey. And if you see a king riding around on a donkey right before a battle starts, it means the king desires peace. Jesus rides into the city that wants to bring war upon him, and he's riding in on a donkey because he wants to bring peace. And he rides right up to you on this donkey offering peace. And then he takes it right up to the cross. And on that cross, he's nailed, seeking peace. And he's buried underneath the weight of the sins of the world. And he's thrown into the grave of hell. And there he rides his war horse and destroys sin, death, and hell and all evil, and he rises up out of that grave. And as he rides up out of that grave, he comes out of the water that, have now, that has now been stilled. Because when he comes up, he brings peace. He brings flourishing in every way. Because he's the king. So go to him. Because you are the Jonah who's been running from God. And he's chased you down and he's brought you up out of the waters to give you peace. And now, since you've been brought up out of the waters, go out to all of those who are runners, who have run like you from God and chase them down and show them the one who chases them. The God who's attracted to runaways. And one last thing to do. 
ride the donkey around, seeking peace for others by going to war with sin and death. And you go to war with sin and death by love and seeking the flourishing of the people in your life. Let's pray. Father, you have been a God who has been good to us. We want to acknowledge that. We don't want to miss that, God, and we don't want to miss you, and we don't miss what you've done for us. We don't want to get distracted from the things of life, the storms that are taking all of our attention off of you, God, in the midst of the storm that we are in. We, I pray, God, that you would jump into the sea for us, show us that you've done it, and lift us up. Put us on land, but then show us your will for our life, and then give us the strength to live into that will. And when we're fearful of living into that will, God, I pray that you would show up and be with us and be our strength and our courage and our might. We need you, God. Come be with us, in Jesus' name.